What's up, everybody? Welcome to Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. So glad to have you here. If you are a repeat listener, you guys are the shit. Uh, let's get right into it. This episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Jombo Superfoods. You can go to jombocbd.com and check out their full line of products. CBD has been helping so many people, including myself, and I personally use it on a daily basis. I use the drops. Jombo also makes a muscle bomb, which has been just game-changing in my recovery, whether that's from you know jujitsu or just training with weights. Um, I put it on my muscles and my joints, and it just helps with my recovery and stiffness and soreness. It's an amazing, uh, amazing product. All of their products are really, you know, they're using all high-quality ingredients, all premium ingredients, and they're sending it all to a third-party laboratory to be tested so you know you're not getting any of the bullshit. you got to be careful, folks. A lot of companies out there, man, they just, you know, they don't take the same precautions and they don't care about, you know, what they're putting out there. They're just out there to make a quick buck. Not Jumbo. They are making all high-quality uh, products with, you know, organic ingredients. And, it, man, I just can't stress enough how important it is, you know, the things that we put on our body, the things that we put in our body. They they directly affect how we interact with others and the world and they they affect how we interpret the world so it's important to use quality ingredients whether that's in the products that you use or in you know the food that you buy the things that we put in our you know in our on our skin or in our body is what we become and you know it affects our world so 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 important you can go to jambocbd.com Check out their Muscle Bomb, guys. I use their 200 milligram extra strength with menthol. If menthol isn't your thing, they have a 100 milligram uh, strength as well, which is amazing. And uh, and you can uh, save 20% by using the code OUTSIDE. Uh, again, one more time, save 20% actually off of your entire order when you use the code OUTSIDE at checkout. Uh, check out their sprays. Check out their ghee. Man, they have a ghee. It's a, it's a ghee, uh, MCT oil, and uh, fuck, dude, it's it's the bomb. I put it in my coffee. I also spray some of the cinnamon CBD, and uh, I'm good to go in the morning. So, you know, it gets me going right. So go check them out, guys. You will not be disappointed. My guest today is Corinne Spinks Chester. Corinne is the CEO, or actually, she's just an all-around cannabis advocate. She's doing a lot of amazing work here in the state of Missouri, but she's the CEO of the Midwest Can, uh, Midwest Can Expos. They just put on a huge, huge trade show at Union Station here in St. Louis. She's also um, the vice president of the Mo Can Trade and a director at Missouri, or normal, or at... I'm sorry, I messed it up. She's also a director of of Normal Greater St. Louis. So she's just deep in the cannabis industry. And she's um, actually had a very interesting journey getting there because she hasn't always been an advocate of cannabis. So it was just really cool to sit down and talk to her and, you know, learn more about what she has going on and all the great work that she's doing in the cannabis space. So welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen, Corinne Spinks Chester. 
because that's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say <laughs> Corinne Spinks Chester. Yep. All right, we we are rocking and a rolling. All right, so I want to start. So you're from Texas, right? Yep. And um, but now you're doing all of this cannabis work in Missouri. Like, how did that all come about? So I grew up in Texas, and I moved here. I was 23 years old. Um, my youngest son was just a year old and, um, my first husband had family who lived here. So we moved here. So I've been here 26 years now. So it's been, oh, yeah, yeah, 27 years. Yeah. Cause I'm 49. So yeah, I've been here 27 years, but the Texan accent, like I can't lose it. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. So it's all good. <laughs> um, so, okay. So Missouri is home. So, uh, what part of Missouri are you like, did you, like where about? I live in Hillsboro, which is about 45 minutes south of St. Louis. I lived in the city for about uh, nine years. And then I'm actually going to probably be relocating back to the city in the yeah. next few months. Um, I'm in and out of the city about four times a week. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, a lot of driving there. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I know you mentioned Springfield as well. I didn't mm -hmm. know if maybe like that's where you were at a period of time. No, I've been in the St. Louis area since I've been here. Yeah. And um, I... You know, I've only been involved in cannabis for about four, three and a half, four years. But, um, but St. Louis has been home for a long time. So yeah, yeah. So, so what? So like, what? What like? What drew you to cannabis? Um, I, I, you know, I used it a little bit when I was a teenager. Got in trouble for it for sure. Um, and um, and stopped um, for many, many years. And I had a friend who, w who smoked pot and every once in a while I'd go hang out with her and we'd smoke pot and, yeah. um, but I'm diabetic and so alcohol is not good for me. Yeah. And, um, so five or six years ago, I started talking to my, my husband at the time who was very anti-marijuana about how much safer it was for me to use cannabis instead of alcohol yeah. because I'm diabetic. Yeah. And, um, so I, I had arthritis and didn't realize that cannabis could actually like the anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah. yeah. Well, that didn't even occur to me. And then, um, so I have a genetic version of rheumatoid arthritis, okay. rheumatoid arthritis. So, mm -hmm. um, I, a lot of autoimmune disease is caused by, you know, it can be caused from everything from emotional trauma to some physical exposure to something, but my autoimmune disease is a genetic thing. So, um, I was diagnosed when I was 35 and they didn't want to give me the diagnosis because I was so young and they don't normally see RA in people my age. Yeah. And, um, but they finally did. And I was on, uh, when I started working on the campaign in 2016, I was taking about 46 pills a day. Oh, wow. And they were all pharmaceuticals and they had me on major doses of, anti-inflammatories, um, antidepressants, they treat depression with antidepressants in small doses, but for autoimmune disease, they'll give you a huge dose. And so I eventually convinced him that it would be okay for me to smoke pot just to deal with the meds. And I was, you know, nauseous all the time. Um, and I didn't even know. I mean, I used it for probably a year before I realized, oh, wow, you know, I don't need as much pain medication and all of that. Yeah. Um, but some of the pharmaceuticals they give you for conditions like RA and chronic pain, they will eat up your brain. I mean. Oh, yeah. Well, they're hard on the liver. They're hard on the gut. You know, everything. Absolutely. Now, were, at any point, did anybody ever, like, 
anybody ever try to counsel you on um just uh, like fixing like your gut or I mean, just like not healthy really. diet or lifestyle no, changes no, or anything? I mean, or a little bit. I knew I needed getting... to lose weight. I needed to change my diet. But these were kind of things that I fundamentally knew. And I just, but I was a completely different person then. You have to understand, like, I, at that time, I was, I had a lot of anxiety and depression. Yeah. Cannabis helped me with that before I even realized it oh, was, yeah. you know. And so, like, now I take, um, I, I still take a lot of pills every day, but a lot of it's um, supplements and stuff. Mm-hmm. I take a thyroid pill every day, and I take um, one pill twice a day for my arthritis and that's it. Everything else I take turmeric and yeah. I've changed my diet and all that. Oh yeah. I didn't make the gut connection until recently. And, um, that's connected to like your immune system. Oh and yeah. Your, your autoimmune your, and your brain and everything. Everything. Yeah. So, um, so I didn't make that connection until recently, but, um, you know, doctors don't talk to you about that right, stuff. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing, that's you know. Yeah. Um, um, the gut thing is ironic that you would bring that up because I, I went to a doctor's appointment, um, I don't know, it was a few months ago. I have always had high cholesterol because my gallbladder, I got my gallbladder taken out, was like 23. Mm-hmm. And no doctor ever said, okay, you don't have a gallbladder, you need to take digestive enzymes. They told me, oh, you don't need your gallbladder anyway, and it's no big yeah, deal. Yeah, that was the time they're just taking things out right, of people. Right, right. And yeah. so I have chronically high cholesterol. They put me on statins for years, and it didn't help. And so finally I just quit taking them because I read that the side effects were bad, and it wasn't helping my cholesterol anyway. So I added a digestive enzyme once a day, and my cholesterol came back down to normal. And I go to the doctor, and she's she did my lab work. And before she read it to me, I said, here's what you're going to see. My cholesterol is going to be down. And I didn't know other than just that I really believed in what I, that what I was doing would help me, you know. Yeah. And so she pulls the test results up, and I told her it's because I'm taking a digestive enzyme. That's honestly the only thing. Yeah. She goes, well, I think we should put you on statins just to be safe. And I no, go, what no are you way. talking about? Like, you're fired because, yeah. <laughs> you Well, know? here's the thing. Cholesterol isn't necessarily a bad thing. You can actually have high cholesterol. They just, they, they, what they have to do is they need to take a look at the ratio of, like, your LDL because you have, like, these very dense particles and then you just have, like, these small particles. So you actually have to look at that ratio to mm-hmm. see, like, how much of it is actually bad. I mean, cholesterol is a necessary thing. Like Absolutely. We, we need it. You know, it's a carrier molecule. A lot of people think, like, cholesterol is, like, this thing, but it's actually, like, this transporter. I don't know. I get really... No, I totally... No, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about because yeah. a lot of people... Uh, associate cholesterol with heart disease yeah, and scientifically true. there's no basis for that for that assumption right. there, you can have high cholesterol and not ever have a heart attack and you can have perfectly fine cholesterol and drop dead from a heart attack tomorrow it's there's that is not an indicator for that so right yeah i mean there's just a whole period where uh, fat was villainized and everybody was just ignoring like refined carbohydrates and sugars yes that's where it's at oh yeah that's where that yeah no absolutely because and then they substituted well back in the 90s when the low fat craze hit and they had all those like snack wells and fat free this and trans fats Mm-hmm. So then trans fats are actually worse than regular fat because oh, yeah. it's chemicals and it's artificial. Yeah, those are yeah. terrible for you. It's like eating plastic. Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's not it's not even food. I read this book called uh, In Defense of Food. Uh-huh. I'm 
I used to have a food blog and be a foodie and all this oh, stuff. Yeah. So yeah, like a million years ago. But um, but this guy wrote this book. He um, and he talked about. Like, what we eat now is not even food, really. Like, I can open a Twinkie, and it can sit on my counter, and it will never grow mold. Never. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. It'll get hard, and you won't want to eat it. Yeah. But if you leave it in the package, like, in 100 years, it'll be still soft and squishy. Like, if I make a loaf of homemade bread, and I leave it out on my counter, two days later, it's got mold all over it. Oh, right. Yeah, just like with, like, uh, with raw milk, you have to drink it really fast. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not actually food. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of food like products. Mm-hmm. I usually just try to eat just real whole food. It's the simplest thing. I try to, and I'm terrible. Like, I have all this knowledge of what's good for me. And then it's like, what'd you do for dinner last night? Oh, I got a burrito from Quick Trip. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what the issue with that is? So, talking about the gut, right? That's I mean, that's the gut bacteria. I mean, it's our second brain. So, we have mm-hmm. all of these like bacteria that influence our decisions so we think it's really us making these choices but it's like is it us or is it the bacteria because it's hard at nighttime right Mm -hmm. i mean especially when things are convenient no it is and um but this is actually something that has been really i've been thinking about a lot and it's been kind of a recurring thing in my life is to go like i do i have all this knowledge about how i need to eat and how much better that will be for me and whatever and then i stop at quick trip for dinner you know what i mean so um i mean i'm kind of in a weird live i live with my mom she's disabled so i live with her and help her and um drive her nuts and she drives me nuts but um I'm hardly ever home, you know, so I know like I need to go to the store and I need to like spend time for food prep and do all that. And, um, and I really feel like, so I'm on this journey of enlightenment and I have over the last three years since I've been kind of doing this, this journey, um, things, issues come up in my life and I'm like, okay, like that recurs over and over to me for a reason. Yeah. So my gut is the one telling me that I need to change the way I eat. I know it'll make a difference for my arthritis, which I I've been mostly in remission for a couple of years now. Uh, somebody messaged me on Facebook and told me that a one-to-one oil would put me in remission. And, um, so one-to-one being CBD, CBD to THC. Yeah. And it did. I went to Colorado. I got a one-to-one oil and a three-to-one oil and, um, and those helped me. That's how I've gotten off all the medication is because of cannabis, honestly. Yeah. Like, I mean. um, Yeah, it's amazing just that one plant can do so many things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it is. It's medicine. It's food. It's shelter. It's Yeah, I mean, it's fiber. I mean, mean, everything. You can use it for every clothes and paper and Um, concrete and. Yeah, yeah I can build my house and feed my family, and if they get sick, I can make medicine for them, and yeah. all I need is this one plant. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. So I also think it's ironic that the most beneficial plant on earth has been completely prohibited and made illegal across the whole planet. Like, it's it's literally the one plant that can save the planet, like hemp and what we were talking about, fuel and fiber and all of that, and it's like... yeah. The irony that they demonized it for all these years based on that it's, you know, well, I mean, it was all racism and all that to begin with. It yeah, wasn't, you know, a lot it wasn't prop- anything real, but yeah, you know what I mean? Propaganda. It's just. Yeah, but in, I think in the grand scheme of it, like 
people are gonna look back and we're just gonna, they're just gonna look look at us and be like what are they, what were they doing during that time? I they're think so crazy because this is really just a, like it's been like like hundred years or something. Like, I agree with you. I think that people will look back on this time and this will be like a dark ages. Yeah, it's such a small period. It's really not that long. I mean, it's long enough. It's some people's lifetime, right? Yeah. But it's it's enough, and we've there's been enough damage done to where it's just like come on, man, like. I don't understand. Greed seems to overrule a lot of, I don't know, rational thinking it seems to be. Yeah. No, you're you're not wrong about that. That's overrides a lot of rational thinking. Yeah. That's why I think cannabis prohibition happened. Um, I, um, Anslinger, the guy who kind of spearheaded the whole thing. Yeah, Harry Anslinger. Um, yeah. So he was um, an enforcer for alcohol prohibition. Mm-hmm. He lost his job. And I didn't know this until recently, but I was having a conversation with somebody and they were saying that when all that was going on, that there were people who tried to stop him, people with money. Uh, Ford, Henry Ford, for example. He built a car entirely out of hemp that ran on hemp and everything. Yeah, and yeah. that even with... Now you think about what kind of power somebody with that name would have today, the, you know, the auto industry and all that and Ford, but back then he couldn't even, yeah, you know, he couldn't stop it. And, um, there were some pretty heavy hitters involved in all oh, that. Oh yeah. So there's, I mean, there's Anslinger and then just from, um, like the private sector, you had William Randolph Hearst and he had a large, you know, interest in paper and yeah. lumber and his news, you know, he had a newspaper. Mm-hmm. So he was easily able to, you know, distribute all the propaganda. It was just a lot of nonsense going on during that time for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, the irony of the, the, the plant that they chose to target and the yeah. necessity of it. To they started the calling it marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, it was able, it was easily attached to, you know, Hispanics, Mexicans, and black yes. people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. What, what interests me is how they always try to paint it as something that makes people violent, but it has the complete opposite effect. And nobody can, you can't die from an overdose, but they paint it as this horrible thing that causes violence and that it will, this is your brain on drugs and the yeah. whole thing. And, um, literally everything they told us about cannabis is the opposite. Oh, yeah. There was a, um, I think it was called the LaGuardia Report, and I could be wrong on this. Is that, am I right about that I think that you're report? right about that. Yeah, and it was from, like, I don't know, like the 30s or something, like a long time ago. And it was this huge, like, 140-page report just completely discrediting all the nonsense that was yeah, being. Yeah, LaGuardia was, um, I can't remember if he was a governor. I think he was a governor. Um in New York, and he went, they had stuff, I mean, TV was brand new, but I saw a clip of, like, a news thing, and maybe it was on a reel or something, you uh-huh. know, they used to do news on the movie reels, but mm-hmm. he he had doctors that were saying, no, this is not true, this is medicine, this is, it helps oh, kids yeah. with epilepsy and all this other stuff, and so, I mean... How heavy were the heavy hitters that they got, they didn't, that they disregarded LaGuardia and Ford and other people that were also kind of heavy hitters, you know what I mean? So it just shows, like, that had to go up. Yeah. A lot of people had to either be convinced of the lie or buy into it to begin with. Yeah. What really gets me is how how people can have, like, just no knowledge of just, like, these big corporations, like, influencing policy and um, just, just, like, the flat-out... Just like wrongs being done, 
and how they and how they can just believe everything that they're told at face value sometimes. Well, I don't you know think I mean? that. Yeah, but I don't think people believe it. I think we negotiate lies with ourselves. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and we were talking about married couples and okay. how they negotiate lies so that they can move forward and not be mad at each other. Yeah. So <laughs> I kind of think that I kind of think that we do that with politics too. Yeah. Um. I mean. You know, if I have a problem and I acknowledge it, then I have to do something about it. So I'm just going to pretend like I don't have a problem, you know. And I think that we have done that very very much so with our government and our politics. And we don't realize there's a problem because we stick our heads in the sand. I did. I mean, like before I started working in the cannabis arena, my idea of being an educated voter was I will watch the news during an election year. Yeah, that's what a lot of people do. And I know now that everything I see on the news is bullshit. So it's just, you know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if you just kind of look at it and just kind of take a step back, I mean, all of those news channels are trying to get viewers. So they're going to put the most enticing information on there. It's all marketing. It really is. It's all marketing. Yeah, PR and marketing. Oh, man, a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And, absolutely. And that's what people will base their whole truth off of, which is scary. Yeah, no, that's. People believe what the government tells them. Like, when I talk to people, like my mom, from her generation, she was born in 1952. And, I mean, they grew up during, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and JFK and all that. And the people, the way that they viewed the government and the news and the media was, this is a reputable source of information. And if you were a politician and you said something, well, certainly... It's the truth. Certainly it's the truth. Yeah. You know? But they're just people. That's the thing. It's just people doing all the work. And making their choices. They yeah. make their choices on if they want to, I mean, for lack of a better term, use their power for good or not good. You know? Yeah. I mean, we decide what we do with our day every day. And yeah. I just, I don't, I guess like for me, it's hard to understand people who wake up every day and decide to do something that's really crappy for everybody else. You yeah. Know? I, I don't <laughs> know if sometimes you just... I don't know if you just get so much money off of a situation that you're just easily able to remove yourself from the actual, like, repercussions of it. So that's where we tell ourselves a lie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's where we tell ourselves it's a like, lie. It's like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Or, right. Or whatever you well, tell yourself. Well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's just something small and, you know, yeah, it's irrelevant. But um, all of our little irrelevant things you know they add up to something pretty meaningful at the end of your lifetime <laughs> it definitely all adds up especially i mean you have people who aren't able to get you know treatment and medication in a safe way mm -hmm. and then you also have people who are just locked up for you know they've lost their complete freedom and like when you start looking at the numbers it, it, like that's one of those things where it's easy just to like put your head in the sand on where we have, I don't know, what, like 6% of the world's population or something. We have like 25% of the world's incarcerated. Like we have an ungodly amount of people in jail and a lot of it for, for cannabis. And So, yeah, so that is something that I really hope that um, we can do something about. Yeah. I think that passing medical um, was the first step in that. And there are people doing good work on expungement now for people who get medical cards that they can, you know, have their records expunged. But my opinion is that nobody should be in jail for a plant. Right. Period. End of story. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have this thing to where we want to tell people how they should handle their consciousness and that they can only do it in certain ways. I mean, that's why people drink, right? They want to relax. They want to, 
I mean, that's what they say, right? You're trying to ease stress. I mean, you're trying to alter your consciousness in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. And that's poison. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. But um, but I can legally drink. I can legally take Percocet or Oxy or whatever I can get my doctor to give me. Yeah. But if I get pulled over with a joint, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And those things are so hard on your liver and your kidneys and... Man, long-term repercussions, they end up having just like a negative effect on you. Well, I mean, they started the the war on drugs. You know, it's, well, I mean, the government tries to legislate morality all the time, and they don't do a very good job of it. Right. Um, you know, um, with every, and it's a civil rights issue, I think. Cannabis is a civil rights issue, just like gay marriage is a civil rights issue, or racial equality is a civil rights issue. It's like, I have the right to medicate myself the way that, is my choice, yeah. you know, and um, you can only do it this way or that way if it's cannabis because the government stuff or, you know, but I mean, um, ultimately, people shouldn't be in jail for a plant. So I'm hoping that now that we have medical, now we need to start working on that. I was reading an article today about a guy in Louisiana who's in prison. There was a petition on Facebook, and I don't know if it's legit or not, but it made me start thinking. Yeah, well, that's um, good at least. Yeah, so it was a petition to get this guy out of – he'd been in prison in Louisiana and had like $20 worth of marijuana or something. It was oh, really wow. – yeah, and, you know. like you he never was, know. He's serving hard labor and life without parole for $20 worth of cannabis. And so that made me start thinking. I'm like, okay, you know, this is, we, I need to think about this more. What can we do? Yeah. And, um, and I work with greater St. Louis normal and we've worked on, um, you know, right now we're doing some stuff for patients, but expungement is definitely in that realm of what normal addresses. So I think we're going to talk some about that in the coming months. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would imagine adult use is going to be the next thing pursued, right? Um, I mean, I don't think – I think we need to get our medical program established and all of that. Yeah. But um, – Like five-year plan maybe? Um, well, I mean, reasonably speaking, it would be better just from a logical perspective. You want to address something like that in, in an election year when there's a presidential election. Okay. Voter turnout is really important in cannabis initiatives, and when there's a presidential election, there will be – higher voter turnout so that means and we don't want to do it in 2020 because we're still you know getting medical set up so yeah um i've heard that some people have it on their radar for 22 or for 24 but i think that what is really really important is that when we and i think that eventually we will pass some kind of adult use measure yeah um that when we do that that we do two things we don't screw patients over because every state that legalizes recreational after they um legalize medical patients are affected in not a good way yeah and two we have to get people out of jail those are the two things that we absolutely have to do with an adult use measure 100 percent. that's what i was going to say like that i would imagine that has to tie into that it absolutely has to so i mean eventually i mean the dark ages. So back to the dark ages yeah. thing. So like your body has this system to yeah. process endocannabinoid, you know, the, yeah, endocannabinoid, the system. endocannabinoid system. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, in the coming years that people will start to, and when I say people, I mean like government people and all that, that this is a, this is not only just a plant that we have a right to, but we have a necessity for. And so, yeah. um, I mean, we have to have oxygen. We have to have, you know, water. 
But we have an endocannabinoid system, and when you have an undernourished endocannabinoid system, you end up with autoimmune disease, and you end up with anxiety. Yeah. And so my prediction is that in the coming years, they will start to see that everybody needs cannabis in their diet, in their life. It was part of our food chain for millions of years, you know? For millions of years, we ate animals that ate hemp, and we had it in our food chain and we didn't have Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and prolific autoimmune disease. And, um, there are, there are illnesses and conditions that exist today in numbers that it's ridiculous. I mean, you, if you look at the history of American health or whatever, and you look at this many people had this disease in this year, and now there's, there's obviously something that has happened to change that. So yeah. the two things are they removed cannabis from the food chain and they added food preservatives and additives to the food chain at the same time. Yeah, people are eating not real food for sure. And then, yeah, I mean, if you just look at the plant um, and, and its whole evolution throughout time, it's it's been with people like in step, you know what I mean? And it's, and like, so if you look at a plant, I mean, they have an agenda too. I mean, if you really think about it, like plants want to survive just as much as anything else do. And they want to spread. And like this plant grows everywhere and it grows easily. And it's, it's, um, it's like the compounds within the plant, um, are a part of us as well. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've developed together, you know what I mean? And, um, it's not going anywhere, and a lot of people are certainly, like, deficient of cannabinoids. Absolutely. Well, I mean, they don't occur in the same – cannabis is the only place where you can get cannabinoids in that quantity. I mean, our right. bodies make very small amounts, and, I mean, you can get CBD from hops, um, but it's not – I mean, they really did not do us any favors when they removed that from yeah. – I mean, it's the one plant we really, really need. We could yeah. probably do without a whole lot of other plants, but, like, that's the one that – yeah, well, I don't yeah. think it's possible to. I mean, like you said, it's it's definitely a failed effort, but it's definitely not. You can't keep it. it it's obvious it, it failed. Like you can't keep it away from the people. No, I mean, eventually though, I mean, eventually people wake up to it. Yeah. People wake up and they go, "Wow, wait a minute, maybe it's not okay that the government's telling me aspartame is safe and that cannabis isn't." And right. Maybe they're not the authority that we trust them to be maybe they're actually the least qualified people on the planet to gauge the health and safety of our food and medicine oh yeah so many (laughs) a lot of people will believe that just because something um is like on the shelves that Mm -hmm. you know like maybe there's somebody that's checking everything to see if it's safe for you but that's not the case like nobody's doing Mm -hmm. that no i mean some of the medications that they allow on the market are ridiculously dangerous oh my goodness and um you know the medicines that they're using for chronic pain and can kill you, you know, um, my mom is on, um, medication. She's an amputee and she has chronic pain and fibromyalgia. They gave her a prescription for Narcan. Oh, really? And I mean, when she came home with that, that terrified me. How strong is that? It's like, so not, no, Narcan is what they give you in case you OD. Oh, Narcan is what they're giving opiate prescription users now because the risk of opioid overdose death is so high oh. that if you have a prescription for Vicodin or Oxy. They're also giving you that. Yes. Holy cow. Here, we might kill you with this one, but here's one that can save you. Yeah, like just in case something goes wrong, here you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that freaked me out. Yeah, that's some crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, I remember reading about them giving it to ambulance people, you know, the ambulance drivers in the city. And I was like, that makes, you know, that makes perfect sense. They gave it to my, you know, 68 year old mom. And I'm like, what the hell? 
Jesus um, Christ. Yeah. So, um, so you probably already said it, but I might have missed it. So what exactly drove you to like joining the campaign trail? Um, well, I was, I was a stay at home mom for many, many years and, um, I did band boosters and helped with scouts and, yeah. you know, I didn't really stay home. I was really active and involved in their lives and they grew up and I, um, I was kind of sitting there, and I'm like, I really, I need to find something that, it, like, a cause, you know? Like, yeah. I need to find a cause. And I'm sitting there smoking pot going, I need to find a cause. <laughs> and so, um, so I was on Facebook one day, because I spent a great deal of time there at that <laughs> point in my life. Shocker, and, like, like yeah, a lot of us. And I saw a thing about um, medical cannabis, and I had started reading um, I had 20 acres out in the woods, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, well, if they're going to start, you know, I could grow some pot. You know, I had amazing flower gardens and, and vegetables and all this. You already and had a green thumb. I had a totally green thumb, and I had actually um, had a place where I was going to build a greenhouse, and I was going to grow herbs and do perennials and do, like, a little nursery. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at cannabis, and I read an article in a magazine that said the cannabis industry was a – for women that the cannabis industry was um, and it was easier to get a foothold in the cannabis industry than it was like in other industries, relatively speaking. And so that kind of intrigued me. Is that because um, it's newer? Newer. And I think that people who, I mean, this it's is just my opinion. Yeah. I think that people in cannabis are more open-minded and, um, and are less likely to um, now there's a difference though. There's a difference between cannabis people and then people who are, involved in the cannabis industry oh, yeah. now a lot of them are the same people but there are also people who are involved in the industry who aren't in it for the plant they're not in it that you know they really just want to make money not Capitalist. that there's yeah i mean not that there's anything wrong with that necessarily if you're not hurting anybody while you're doing it but oh, yeah. that's that's where the problem for me comes in so um but yeah i mean um it's definitely a part of it yeah for sure so i started working on the campaign and uh i started working on it in 2016 and um i gotten i would get nervous and shy i hated collecting signatures but i would go do it cuz that's what we needed and so i talked to the campaign manager and just said how about if i just go pick up the signatures from the permanent signing locations and so i started helping with that and got really involved and then we didn't make the ballot so we collected 100,000 signatures more than we needed but we fell about 200 short in congressional district 2 which is st louis county so you had a, you had enough signatures total but you didn't have a like you're 200 mm-hmm. short in st louis yeah so you have to have a specific number of signatures from each congressional district and you have to do that in six out of eight congressional districts so oh, wow. so i uh, worked on the litigation team and we went to court and we tried to get back on the ballot and we were not successful. But in the process of that, um, I, I had been at that point during the campaign, I had been in chronic pain for years. And I woke up the first day we went to go to the law office for litigation, pain free. No explanation. Yeah. Just... And I always, that was kind of an indicator to me that I could maybe have more influence over my health and everything Mm -hmm. than I gave myself credit for. Yeah. Because I always believed that 
I rose to the occasion. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Absolutely. Sorry at all. <laughs> no, you're good. I have, I have some tissue around no, here. No, it's okay. But, um, but the other thing that happened was I started meeting patients like Aiden oh, Markham yeah. and the kids with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't even want to grow anymore. I just, you know. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I drove <laughs> down there and sat with, with, uh, with Ashley. And, uh, and man, it, uh, it's, it's amazing, like, what, like, it's life-changing for some of these it people. It absolutely is. And so I met Ashley and Aiden, and we're in court and I just, I'm looking at this kid and I'm like, you know, if other people saw this kid, there's no way that they would say, no, you can't give this kid the medicine that he needs. This yeah. is a kid who's having 50 seizures a day to having no seizures a day. And you're going to say no. Yeah. I mean, and so yeah. I started, that's when I started putting all the miles on my car was during, the, it was during the 16 campaign. And then, um, I started taking photos of patients and Aiden was my first one. So I did the Missouri patient project and I took photos of patients and I had a Facebook page and we printed them and we took them to fundraisers and I went places and talked about these people that I had met Yeah. and people with MS and epilepsy and cancer and diseases I cannot even pronounce Yeah. and they're finding relief from cannabis mm -hmm. when nothing else is helping mm -hmm. them. And, um, and then I just, I started really just trying to work on trying to find ways to help raise money for the campaign. One of the things that I learned in 2016 in litigation was that you can't get a lot done if you don't have money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, you I mean, make, the capitalists are that right about to, that. Yeah, so that money to make things happen. Exactly. Sure. So we started, um, we started in 2017 and I started doing um, events because I did that when I was doing band boosters and fundraising for the school. It's yeah. like, that's what I did. I was yeah. like, let's, you know, Just and same skill. right. And so I wanted to have a trade show and, um, and we, I started working with the campaign and with MCIA and doing events that benefited the campaign. And then last September, um, we, we had an event in Kansas city and I realized that after legal, and this is before legalization and we're doing this. And I realized that after legalization, it was going to be bigger. It was going to be thousands of people, not hundreds of people. Oh and yeah. So I just really, the other thing though, that really affected me was that, you know, the money thing and that, you know, when we do get ready to do adult use, I really want to be a part of that because it's really important that, um, that patients and activists are the people who really move that forward. I think that's my opinion. Um, I don't want the capitalists to be in charge of the whole thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely, it's, it's a tricky situation, right? Because mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be a, this tipping point where all of the big corporations are going to try to get in on it. For in sure. In some regard. For sure. And I really, I think that we are doing a good job of trying to make sure that Missouri operators get first shot. Eventually the market is going to be, it's going to be different. I really think federal legalization will happen in the next couple of years, yeah, if not sooner. Hopefully. And that's going to change the entire, the entire landscape of it. Oh, everything, everything. I was talking to uh, my best friend way back in like 2013, telling him like, man, Starbucks 
is 100% going to position themselves and get into the cannabis space. They'd be stupid not to. Yeah, and from what I've heard recently, I, I think they've announced some, some plans already to do so. And it's like, well, they've, they've already, they're already everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're already distributing drugs on every corner, like in America. So just, it's just change one substance for the next. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, they'll probably start with CBD infused. The infused beverage market's huge anyway in yes. recreational states and all that. So I can, oh, yeah. yeah, that would make sense for Starbucks to and other companies too. I think that just even from from a perspective completely separate from like how amazing the plant is and all that. I mean, this is a business opportunity. It's not very often that an entirely new industry is born. You know, yeah, this I mean, is, the dot com boom and cannabis and yeah, this can change a lot of people's lives. Absolutely, and um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what it looks like after December. Yeah, you know, so yeah. I a lot of the stuff that I do a lot of work with uh, Mocan Trade with the Trade Association mm-hmm. and um, they've been a fantastic partner. Um, I've told them that I've infiltrated their organization to make them do good things with their money. Yeah. And um, so I've been totally upfront with my desire to continue to be a whacktivist, as some of them would say. So That's funny. What's I'm, that group like? Um, they're, you know, I mean, um, I was ambivalent about them at first. You know, it's like, okay, I don't know about these guys. But, um, but you know, I have met a group of people who care very much about making sure we have a solid industry and we have you know, a platform for uh, being able to deal with the state on their rules and regulations. And, um, and they're helping me do some patient advocacy work, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's been, I I was pleasantly surprised. Some of the capitalists have hearts too. So yeah, it's, um, so that's been good. But we are, we're working on um, some stuff coming up at the end of June. We're doing a fundraiser on the 24th um, in Kansas City that'll benefit Aiden's Alliance, which is Ashley and Aiden and their family. Um, So they have um, the Aiden's Alliance Foundation is helping patients who need help, low income or special needs families who need help with their doctor visits or their patient card fees and stuff like that so yeah. so um so they're helping me do that and um that's a pretty significant it's a pretty significant thing like this is the first time we've been able to raise money for patients that it will directly benefit patients you it's know all where the been, money's going exactly yeah. and so we've raised all this money to pass the law and to all this other stuff but we haven't gotten to raise money that benefits patients directly and so I'm excited about that um they have and there's a there's a huge need for it there are a lot of people who cannot afford two or three hundred dollars to go to the doctor to get a recommendation yeah so what is the cost uh, exactly I I know it's I think a hundred dollars for a grower's card it's a hundred dollars for a grower's card it's twenty five dollars for the patient card but you have to get a certification from a doctor so the what doctors, kind of certification do you have to get? So they just have to certify that you have a qualifying condition. Oh, okay. So the qualifying conditions are really broad, and then there's a catch-all, so you can get a recommendation for anything the doctor thinks you can benefit right. from. Right. So this is a conversation that was on Facebook earlier today about a lady said she went to her doctor, and lupus is not a qualifying condition. It certainly should be. Well... But it's the language is written so that it she could be. get she could get that autoimmune disease and chronic pain and I mean yeah so 
the trick is finding a doctor who's also open to cannabis. So they're the doc in a box things that are popping up everywhere, and they're going to charge patients three or four hundred dollars for a recommend for a quality. Yeah, and um, you know, if you go to your regular doctor at SMS or Barnes or wherever, they're not going to write you a recommendation. Because they're beholden to a hospital and a healthcare system, and malpractice insurance goes up, and all kinds of other stuff. So that's true. Yeah. So wow. I mean, the unfortunate reality is, is that these places that pop up and say we'll give you a recommendation for three hundred dollars, that's where people are going to go because you just need a doctor friend. Yeah, because those doctors are going to be friendly to other doctors are going to look for reasons not to give you a card. You know? Yeah, I don't. And what's what? Why? I wonder. Like, what's their reasoning? I honestly think it's mostly the well, the a lack of education about what cannabis is. Yeah. And then the fear of, you know, involved with malpractice insurance and the healthcare systems and all that. I mean, the healthcare system in this country is a corporate machine. That's oh, all man. it is. It's really just sick care. I mm-hmm. mean, it's not really it healthcare. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's really management of symptoms. They don't really treat any root causes. No, it's funny having conversations with doctors about the first do no harm thing. And I've actually, I actually had a doctor stand there for like 20 minutes and try to explain to me how prescribing a pharmaceutical epilepsy medication is first do no harm over prescribing cannabis first. You know? Yeah, and I don't know. Like those synthetic compounds are not he the ha- same. I mean, he really believed what they he was saying. Uh-huh. And that was what scared me. I'm like, mm-hmm. you are educated. You are smart. You're obviously smart enough to be a doctor. Why are you not smart enough to look at this and go, wow, this medicine doesn't have side effects and it can't kill them. And this one can. Let's try this one first. Yeah. I don't even like the term side effects. So they're all just effects. Well, that's true. They're all just effects. Like some happen more frequently than Unintended or not the one we're marketing for is actually what it is. This yeah. is not the effect we are marketing for. Right, yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like the, all of these effects are possible. It's just mm-hmm. these are more likely than others. Yeah, and even that is um, – I was reading some um, – and I can't even remember where it was somewhere. It was an article about though, how they do the studies and how they determine, you know, if this much happens, then it's a good effect or a bad effect. And they can have, they can have really bad effects happen, but disregard them. Like the way their protocols are written, it gives them the ability to disregard. Yeah. But I mean, you know, but we can't have cannabis cause it can get you high. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, and there are some good things about modern medicine, certainly. Oh, but, absolutely, but in general, absolutely. But in general, just the way we we handle certain things, like I'm just I'm a huge like I'm just so like I'm just so so much against like antidepressants. Mm-hmm. Um, not for the most part because well, they're overprescribed, absolutely. and most people don't need them. They definitely help some people, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But not the amount of people at the rate that they're being, you know, prescribed to people. It's crazy. It's ruining people's gut health, and it's it's causing them to like not actually produce serotonin naturally. It's downregulating that ability. It's just it's keeping them in a terrible spot. I think so, and I also think as a person who has suffered with depression almost my entire life. Um, so I don't say this from a from a point of view that's um, um, not knowledgeable about it. But I think that the idea that you can pop a pill and make everything okay negates some of our responsibility for our own mental health. Yeah. And it puts us in a mindset that, well, I don't really need to change the way I think about things. I just need to pop this pill and I'll feel better. Yeah. And it's just party to the lies we tell ourselves so that we can get through the day. Why do we always have to be happy? 
Um, I don't think we should always be happy. I I think that lessons come from pain. Yeah. Um, the happiness I think sometimes is a result of getting to the other side of it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I'm happier than I've been in my entire life, and I'm off all the medication that I was that they gave me for years, antidepressants and all that. And, yeah. Um, but the biggest thing for me is just that I started changing the way I thought about things, and mm. I started thinking about. Um, I used to be very, the way I thought about things was very negative. And, um, I thought a lot about what I couldn't do and what was wrong and not about like, how can I fix this or what's the solution? And I remember just like, I was laying there one day and I'm like, the house is a mess and I'm fat and I'm, you know, this, and it's <laughs> like, I'm a miserable and I'm unhappy. And this voice in my head was like, then get up off your fat ass and do something about it. This is your life. Like, if you're not going to do something about it, who's going to? Yeah, you got to own it. Exactly. And so I just, you know, I was just kind of, it was weird how little synchronicity started happening and little things. I would drive by the Lions, the Lions uh, Club and Hillsboro has this uh, sign out there. And I don't know who it is who puts the messages up there. Um, but I drove by one day and it said, nobody will pedal the bike for you. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, it's like okay, I see where you're going with this, you know. And then a couple of weeks later, it was be the hero of your own story. And it was like, you know, so it really just, none of that started occurring to me, though, till after I started using cannabis. I was veg, I was like vegged on all the medications that they had me. Yeah. Like, I really honestly believe that if I hadn't been on cannabis also, that my brain would have just stayed in that like in stagnant. Fog. Yeah. Well, I, in 2017... Or in two, at the end of 2016, when the campaign was done, and I decided to do the photo project, I had a camera, and I had been doing photography, like, as an amateur for years, but I went and took a class. I wanted to go take a class, and um, and so I was like, I'll go back to school, but if I'm going to go back to school, I can't do it on all this medication. Like, I physically, I recognized, it, sometimes it felt like there was a physical wall in my mind. Oh. Like, I'm trying to put two thoughts together, and this should be a no-brainer, and it's work and I'm not getting there. So I knew that to go back to school, I would have to get off the medication. And so that was when I really started exploring, like using the oil and all that instead of just smoking. So, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I couldn't imagine trying to go, you know, go to school, like living in a, in a fog where like you're, you I mean, you're like, you're thinking just a little bit slower. No, it was, I mean, and I stopped using, I, I, by December, I was off all the pharmaceuticals except for I was off all the antidepressants. That was the first thing that I got rid of. They oh. had me on Cymbalta, which I took four of those a day. Lamictal, I took two of those a day. Um, and then they had me, I can't remember the other one that I took twice a day also. That was just the antidepressants. Did you That's like wean not, off of these or did you? Yeah. Like no, I I went to my doctor and I said, I'm getting off this medication. You can, I mean, I was basically like, I need you to tell me how to do it. I'm going to figure it out one way or the other. But yeah. so she told me what I, how I needed to back off of it and everything. And, um, and I did that. And, um, did you experience any, like any withdrawal effects from those? So ironically, um, I had been being treated for severe vertigo. I was motion sick all the time. Mm. So I couldn't go to the grocery store and walk down the aisle without getting nauseous. And um, I had been to the doctor and they had told me 
that there was nothing they could do about it. And I did all these, anyway, it was like tests and months. So I get off the Cymbalta and I quit being motion sick all the time. So the side effect of me getting off of the Cymbalta was I didn't have to take Dramamine every morning before I got out of bed. And, you know, so it was, I started to find out that not only was my medication not really helping me get better, but it was actually making me sicker. So then, so by the time I started school in January, I was off most of it. I was still on some of the anti-inflammatories and stuff like that, but um, I didn't realize how much the medication kept me from being able to think for myself. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, um, and I was still not happy. I mean, I was on massive doses of antidepressants and I was still unhappy. And that was because I had work to do. I had to do something to. So do you find more fulfillment now that you're pursuing the things that you're pursuing and, and Midwest can Midwest Canna expos? Yep. So, yeah. So that's been amazing because I never would have pictured myself as a business owner and all of that. I've always been fantastic at being a sidekick, you know, um, but this was just something that I was compelled to do in a way I don't even know how to describe. It wasn't even like I went, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. It was just like, I was just doing it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I'm hoping, you know, my goal is that I can have a company that's successful and that we are creating educational opportunities for people. I feel like education is the key to like 100%. all of this. So, so many people just still aren't aware. Right. And so I, um, you know, I mean, obviously I want to make money at some point. I want to be able to not live with my mom and all that stuff. But <laughs> yeah. But my big thing really as far as the financial stuff is that I really want to start building and working towards getting prepared to be involved in in a legalization measure in a few years, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's really what's on my radar. Um, I, um, be involved in what way? Um, I would, I would love to have the money to help finance it. That's Mm -hmm. my goal. I feel like the people who write the checks are the ones who get to have influence over the process. You you know, know? at the end of the day, you can actually, like you can still do good if you don't have money, but if you have, oh, absolutely. if you have a lot of money, you can almost do a whole lot more good though, just in a different way. So with great power comes great responsibility yeah. and money is power. It really is, man. You <laughs> can know? just, you can just do more things. I, I, I really, I, um, I've never, I don't think I could motivate myself just to have money. Like I can't go, Oh, you know, like I love shoes. Like, yeah. I go work really hard I or mean, whatever. Money itself is nothing, but it's just like what it, it's affords. a tool. Yeah, exactly. It's a tool. Like, what it's can a tool. you do with it? And so, I mean, you know, I, I, every single time I told Ashley Markham this, every single time I get a chance to do something for Aiden's Alliance, I will. So our conference that we're doing on the 25th, um, 10% of the profit is going to go to Aiden's Alliance, and then 10% is going to go back to New Approach, Missouri to help pay off some of the campaign debt. Oh, nice. So they still have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of campaign debt from um, the signature collection company that validated our signatures mm. and stuff ahead of time. And this um, is the one in Kansas City coming up. Yep. So it's going to be on the 25th. We're going to do the Aiden's Alliance fundraiser the night before and then the and then the conference that day. And um, and I love being able to do these events and then take part of that and give it, you know, give back and be able to help, um, you know, with with patients and then getting campaign debt paid off. Um, We that's that's a huge burden. And the board of directors for New Approach ends up being responsible for that. And they're just volunteers. 
like me who've done, yeah. you know, amazing work and not gotten paid for it. So, you yeah, know. it's just all people just, <laughs> I mean, like somebody has to do the work and, and they have, you know, they, they took the, the initiative to do it. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's, and we need, and we'll need field works if we try to do something in a few years, you know, we have yeah. to pay that debt off. So, cause they were amazing. So, yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's something that everybody benefits from. Absolutely. I wonder if there's a way to, um, like for them to get, I don't know, something, there's going to be so much money generated. I, I really believe that people who are involved in the industry and who are making money from cannabis have a responsibility to, help further legalization in other places with that. I just feel like, that's right, like the, these it's a karma thing. It's yeah. like a, like if too much has been given much is expected, I guess, kind of thing. Yeah. And I know not everybody shares that and that's okay. But I just always feel like, I mean, I'm a big believer in karma and you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. And I think that's true on levels that humans don't even comprehend. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm all about that. All, the energy you put out is definitely what's returned. And if you have these organizations that, you know, put in all the legwork and made it possible so you are able to actually get into an industry and, mm -hmm. like, make all this money, I mean, it definitely wouldn't hurt to give back to those. I mean, I mean, it can't hurt you, right? I mean, yeah. and if it can give you a little good karma, why not? Yeah. <laughs> so do you see yourself continuing to throw um, – like these big these big events. I well, mean, the expo is huge. Yeah, so we're like, gonna let's do. Talk about that a little we're bit. gonna do Mocan BizCon. It was amazing. Um, I I started going to trade shows a couple of years ago, cannabis trade shows, so that I could see what they were about, and I wanted to do it here. I thought it would be a good way to raise money for the campaign. Yeah, and so. Um, I had never been to a trade show before, you know. Yeah, and, and you had I was a huge like, floor. yeah, I, I was thinking. I've never even been to a trade show, but I want to have trade shows. So, uh -huh. I better, you know, so I, I started going and we did a couple of small events and we're planning Mocan BizCon 2020. We'll be March 2nd and 3rd back at Union Station. I'm working on um, an industrial hemp event for August uh, 29th and 30th, and that'll also be at Union Station. And I'm really excited about that because as amazing and wonderful as cannabis is as a medicine, like hemp is paper and fiber and fuel and plastic. And, oh, yeah. I mean, There's so many different uses. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And then um, we are um, – so we've got the hemp and then Mocan BizCon. And then I'm also working on a couple of events that we're going to add in 2020. So this is very preliminary, but we're going to do a patient home grow, patient grow caregiver kind of event um, during the week of 420 yeah. during 2020. And, um, and we're talking about what we would need to do to do a cannabis cup. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it, and we hopefully will be uh, planning some other large-scale cannabis conferences in other markets. Mm -hmm. um, Illinois just became recreational, and Michigan did, so there's definitely some possibility of expanding. Right. Now, do you see I, – I noticed, like, a lot of the vendors that were um, at the last expo, a lot of it is, like, geared towards, like, supporting, like, the infrastructure of like the like the coming market mm -hmm. and there is a lot of education um like as the market becomes more established do you see like those vendors maybe changing a little bit more as like more established they like, will products and different things they or? will it will change and it'll get bigger um next year we'll have more vendors than we had this year yeah. we put that all together in like four months yeah, so crushed it. yeah i mean it was i have a, an amazing team though that's like totally not me i mean 
they seriously um and it's it was ironic because I started well not ironic it was actually totally expected I started doing all this and every single time I would get to a point where okay you can go no further without help like the universe would put this person right in front of me that was exactly yeah what I needed help with mm-hmm. and 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 every single time I would get to the point where I'm like okay I don't know what we're gonna do next it's like um we were getting ready. We were, I was actually working out of Union Station for almost a month before the event. And I'm working on all the production stuff. And my friend Chris shows up and he's like, oh, this is my sister-in-law. She's been doing trade shows for 17 years. And I'm like, oh, my God. It was just. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So yeah. every single time I've gotten to a point, And I just have to continue to believe that, you know, when. Because I, you know, I get scared about this stuff. This it's is like high shit, risk. Man. And it's very. You know, it's literally everything I have is going into it. And um, so it's scary, but I just have to believe Uh that if history is any indication, then I don't really have anything to worry about. Like every single time I come up against an obstacle, there's a solution that appears. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe if I just keep trying to give back, then – you know, then I'll be able to, because that's really all I want to do. Yeah. That's all you can do. I mean, again, I've already said it, but really like the energy that you put out, if you live with intent and intention, right? I mean, things like you have to work through things, but they do also work out at the same time, right? I mean, they don't just work out without you doing something. No, but but I think we put, I think we put obstacles in our way mentally and don't realize it. You know, it's the, the, uh, I was listening to a meditation thing on YouTube the other day and she made, she said it had a sentence and it wasn't even about that, but she was talking about how we make rules for ourselves, you yeah. know, and we live by those rules and some of those rules are good and healthy, but some of them are very limiting. Like, yes. you know, I, and this is a lie that I've not necessarily a lie and I, this is not something I'm going to change, but like for me, I don't really want money unless I can do something good with it. Like I don't just, I don't want money just for the sake of money. Mm-hmm. So this rule that I have for myself is if you're going to have a lot of money, you have to do good stuff with it. Yeah. Otherwise go be broke somewhere. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, but, but I realized like I had rules like that, that were not healthy, that were not good. You know, it's like, well, you know, you can only be successful if you're, you know, somebody else is in charge or yeah. you can only be successful if, you know. Whatever um, the lies we tell ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, whatever. And, and there are so many of them. It's, you know, and oh, we yeah. don't realize it. So Yeah, people put themselves in boxes every day, and I've been guilty of this. It's like you want to be a certain way, but you've, you've convinced yourself you're this other way, so you won't, you won't you won't do the things that you want to do. You won't, you won't have that conversation or you won't put yourself out there, whatever the case may be for the person. But it's just like, you're holding yourself back. It's like you, you can literally wake up tomorrow or today and just be the person that you want to be. You decide. Yeah. And it's not like being fake or being unauthentic. It's like, you're just really being who you want to be. Instead of being the person that you believe other people expect you to be. Right. And sometimes that expectation's not even real. It, like, it right. yeah, you, I project this expectation. Exactly. Like they don't actually expect that from me, but you know, yeah. so. I, I relate that to people all the time. And, um, with hats, 
because people will say, well, I don't look good in this or that hat, or they'll <laughs> ask you if they look good in it. I'm like, look, dude, everybody looks good in every hat. Because <laughs> honestly, I've been, I'm like, oh, I couldn't pull off this hat. But anytime, like a fedora or something, if I see anybody else in a fedora, I'm like, oh, man, you look great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter who, like anybody else in the world, but for some reason, I'm the one person in the world that it I doesn't look good in a fedora. Look, no, you know what I mean? I, so yeah, no, I've done that it's, too. It's literally just your, whatever you, you're thinking, right, in that moment. Well, it's biased. And so, um, one of the, one of the most important things that I ever learned was that I had a lot to learn. And then I learned that it's not all about me. Yeah. And when I can step outside of myself and I can look at things from a non-emotional, non-judgmental, just observe, Yeah. not judge, not that assess, helps. you know, and, um, and it does because, you know, like used to, I would call somebody and they don't call me back and I'm like, oh my God, are they mad at me? You know? And yeah. it's like, no, they actually have a life outside of returning your phone call. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, but I would, I mean, I remember just torturing myself over stuff like that, yeah. you know? And oh, just yeah. like, I could have been being so productive with my time, but. Mm -hmm. Have you read the book, The Four Agreements? No, I haven't. It's really it's really short. It's a great book. But like one of the agreements is um like well, don't make assumptions, right? So like in that scenario, we go crazy because you start assuming all this stuff, right? And like also don't take anything personal, right? If they don't call you back it has nothing to do with you. Exactly. Right? It's so not like, all about me. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's that's two of the agreements and it's just like you could just you could save yourself so much suffering it is actually an incredibly freeing thing yeah to realize it's not all about me yeah you know like i carried the weight of the world on my shoulders like i have all this responsibility if i don't do this it's not gonna get done and yeah you know it's like um, how'd you get there did you take like a huge edible one day and you're just no, like <laughs> i <laughs> i uh you know i don't know it's been um enlightenment is not easy it's and it's process, not for the faint-hearted for sure, faint -hearted, for sure. Yeah. um edibles don't hurt though I'll say <laughs> that. um i'm really interested to see what's going to happen with the the mushrooms and stuff like that going yeah with psilocybin being mm -hmm. decriminalized and you know was uh denver, denver and in uh oakland yeah, yeah so i mean it's um i i really am hoping as all of this comes out that we're going to see um kind of maybe a new movement in medicine. Um, Hopefully. You know, if, if, if cannabis went mainstream, you know, if cannabis were something that you went into your doctor at Barnes or wherever yeah. and could talk to them about and doctors were, I remember when I went to go talk to my uh, rheumatologist about, um, about, I just asked her what she thought of cannabis and I told her I was using it. And she said, are you worried about getting addicted? And I was like, I mean, not any more than I'm worried about getting addicted to the tramadol that you wrote me a prescription for. Right. You know, I mean. Yeah. Um, and if I'd I do be get more addicted. worried about tramadol. Well, exactly. I mean, it was but it was puzzling to me that she just. Yeah, they just, she, they really just don't know. It's a lack of, you know, it's a lack of education. Well, the endocannabinoid system's not taught in medical schools, but that's starting to change. Yeah. Schools are starting to well, teach Well, neither it. is nutrition. No, I mean, um nutrition's not taught on any level in school like unless you go to a college and go i want to learn about nutrition yeah well even then the like the things that they're teaching is just all old and outdated it takes the it, food pyramid and well it takes whatever. just a number of years yeah for the current science to actually get assimilated into you know the curriculum yeah um yeah and but i i hope <laughs> 
I hope that the that the next uh, leap forward in medicine is that they go back to plants and natural medicine and start to see. Um, I used to think that holistic medicine and homeopathic remedies was all BS. I was like, oh, right, whatever, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, if I get sick, the first thing I do is go to the health food store now. The first thing I do is not go get it an antibiotic. Yeah. And I've had to, I've actually, I, right after Mocan BizCon in March, I got really, really sick. And, um, and this, the gut thing you were talking about, um, I had to, t- I've had three courses of antibiotics in the last four months. Oh, shit. Yeah. And I was like, I was talking to somebody yesterday and I said, you know, your gut generates your immune system. Oh, yeah. So. You're wiping out all that. Yeah. Every single time I have to take those, those pills, you yeah. know, it's doing that. And I was like, I take probiotics and all that anyway, but I was that like, helps. I'm going to have to do something else to like, otherwise I'm going to be at risk for getting sick again because my gut yeah. is. Yeah. Well, the good news, I mean, you can just start building it now. You know what I mean? Just lots of, you know, vegetables and just all different types of produce and probiotics. This is a recurring thing that keeps coming up in my life about how I need to address my diet and go back to like the... I'm a health coach. I can talk about this for days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I used to... Well, I mean, I used to weigh almost 300 pounds. Well, you look... Fantastic. Thank you. I've lost like 120 pounds. And so I've, I've still got about... 25 more to go yeah. to get where I want to be. But so I used to, when I was really fat, I'd be standing there eating cake going, you know, I mean, I could eat healthier, but it's not like I'd ever weigh 150 pounds or anything. So I'm at like 169-ish now. Oh, yeah. So I was like, I want to get down to 150, even if it's only for like five minutes. Like I only actually have to weigh that on the scale once to be yeah, happy. Yeah, we could do that easy. But it's just like... I have to, I have to dispel that lie in my head. You know what I mean? And so I did get to the point about 10 pounds ago where I was like, you know, that you can't tell yourself that lie. At this point, if you don't weigh 150 pounds, it's just because you didn't work hard enough. Yeah. (laughs) You know? You definitely get there. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So I I need to work on strength training. That's That's the most important. yeah, Yeah. So for somebody with arthritis, especially to have muscle to support your joints and stuff. But when I lost weight, I didn't do it the right way. And I lost a lot of the muscle mass that I still had. Um, Oftentimes people do that because mm -hmm. you, well, you get so asphyxiated on the number that like oh the number is going down but it really like your composition really does matter like how much is muscle how much is fat like once you do get to a certain point the number really doesn't matter anymore because muscle does weigh more than fat right you know what i mean but it's about getting that right composition well at this point at this point if i don't weigh 150 pounds ever that's okay because i really like i was this so i used to like lift weights and do all this other stuff like long time ago before I was, you know, housewife and all that. But, um, but I know what I need to do. And so, but no, the strength thing is really vital for me. So when I woke up in September of 2016 and didn't have any pain for the first time in my life, I began this like mad scramble and I wake up every morning, not knowing if I'm going to be in pain or if I'm going to be in remission or whatever. So I work like, I mean, that's why I work all the time is because I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be, you won't be able to, right. But what, but I, there, you know, like, so the strength thing goes back to the stronger I am, then if my arthritis comes back and it could, you know, it potentially could, um, 
I'm stronger to start with. When I when I started having a lot of trouble with pain, I had a lot more muscle in three years of not being able to do a whole lot and all that. Yeah, you that know? definitely helps. Just push yourself in a good starting point, and then just I mean, just the healthier you are, I mean, the, the chances of it coming back are less. Likely. So yeah, and you know, it's I'm crazy the way I motivate myself because like I'll do this thing where I go, well, you know, like alcohol. Alcohol is bad for you. So I'll go well. Um, I won't say no alcohol because I'm diabetic and it's bad for me. Like, but I have a conference call in the morning and I have to be sharp, so no alcohol. Yeah. So it's like it's just stupid. You like, it's, find these reasons. For yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> that know, works. It's, yeah. And it's like it's it's funny how I can motivate myself for something for the work that I'm trying to do, and I can't do it for my own. Yeah. But I've started to realize like my self interest enables me to do that work, so I have to, you know. Yeah. Um. I mean, the better you, like you, you are, the better your work is going to be. I will. I actually, I try to give myself um, like 24 hours on the week. Like on Saturdays, usually I'm I don't work. Um, <laughs> and but I started rough, making huh? myself. I started making myself take downtime just because it makes me better at when I'm doing the rest of my job. And I don't always get Saturdays off. I've got stuff I've got to do this oh, weekend. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and we're three weeks out from an event, so I'm working pretty much all work the time. Work is nonstop, really. You no, know and I, mean? I love my work. So yeah. It's not even, you know, yeah. I don't want to be doing anything else, yeah. really. Like, yeah. I have no personal life. I have no, like, <laughs> you know, so I just, but I love my work, and I think that it is so important. And um, I, I honestly... Um, outside of my kids, like cannabis is the most important thing I've ever done in my life, you know? Well, you're doing amazing work. Thank you. Yeah, so definitely keep it up. Um, well, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. Um, is there anything, I know we, we talked about um, the most, like the upcoming ones mm -hmm. in Kansas City. Yeah. Is there anything else like on the horizon coming up? Is there anywhere you want to, uh, anything else you want to plug, places you want to send people? Um. Well, I mean, so places I want to plug. Uh, this is a good one. Living Green Resource Center in St. Louis. Okay. Um, they just did an event um, where they were helping people with doctor certifications. They were working with Intuitive Cannabis. And um, we've had a lot of people on Facebook asking, like, where they can find doctors and where they can find information in the St. Louis area. So that's definitely a good place to go. And, um, um, and they're going to be coming to the conference um, in – at the end of June and talking to caregivers about, um, cannabis and about just all things caregivers. So I'm excited about the caregiver track because that's not being done anywhere. Yeah. And, um, the caregivers are the people that ultimately are going to be the ones who suffer from lack of regulations and stuff. So if I'm an industry operator and I screw up, they might take my license. If I'm a caregiver and I screw up, I'm going to jail. Yeah. It's a totally different, it's a totally different ball game. And so, um, so caregivers absolutely need to be educated on what the 100%. rules are, what the regulations are, how to operate compliantly. It's important that we start this industry off, um, in a way that, you know, that's, that's on a solid foundation. And, um, so we will have the caregiver track and, um, so the ladies from Living Green are going to come and they'll talk some about the compliance and all that. But we're also going to have a session just on cannabis and the endocannabinoid system and how they work and that sort of thing. So I'm excited to be able to do that for caregivers. Good stuff. Anything else? 
that's about it. All right. <laughs> hey, look, thank you so much again for taking the time. Thank um, you for inviting me. It was yeah, great. Absolutely. And then, um, yeah, we'll have to, uh, Twenty, what you said, twenty twenty, right? Is the next one uh, March second and third of twenty twenty. We'll be back at Union Station, yeah. August 29th and thirtieth at Union Station of this year. So just like in a few months, we'll have the Industrial Hump Conference. Right on. All right, mm-hmm. perfect. So mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of good stuff coming up. All right, everybody. Until next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you are getting value out of the podcast, do me a favor. Tell a friend. Leave a rating. Leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts share it, do all of these things. Um, also, go check us out at imposedwill.com. This, ep- this episode and every episode is brought to you by them, us, me, my company. Um, we are here to build a community and to help others uh, strengthen their mind and help give them the tools to, to be their best selves and to live the life that they want to live. So we have a full line of apparel out now. Uh, that is how we are fueling the mission. So go check us out. You can also get on the mailing list and stay up to date with everything that's going on. So until next time, guys, I will see you then. Mwah.